Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode five of series nine of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. In this series of the podcast, we have explored the importance of skills, reskilling and continuous learning, as well as the shift to on-demand and personalised learning. In this last episode of the series, my guest is Vijaya Krishnan, Chief Learning Officer and Global Head of Learning and Development Ericsson, who is at the cutting edge of driving a culture where learning is a habit that matters. When we are planning this episode, Vijaya and I quickly realised we had a mutual passion for people, data and analytics. Vijaya also shared with me a view that I found quite profound. She told me that learning is oxygen, invisible but necessary to survive, and analytics will make it visible. We will dive deeper into this in our conversation, where Vijaya and I will also discuss the relationship between learning and business outcomes. We'll talk about how to cultivate a growth mindset across your workforce, and we'll look at how to build a skills-driven organisation and help employees identify the skills that they need to grow. We'll look at the future of learning and why it's wrapped up in the future of people analytics. And we'll also look at the impact of technology on the future of learning. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in learning skills and culture development. So that's business leaders, CHROs, chief learning officers, and anyone in a people analytics, workforce planning, learning or HR business partner role. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 9 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by Degreed, the workforce upskilling platform for one third of Fortune 50 companies. Degreed integrates and curates all the resources people use to learn, including learning management systems and millions of courses, videos, articles, books and podcasts, using behavioural and data science to analyse everyone's skills and to automatically personalise career development based on their jobs, strengths and goals. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Vijay Krishnan, Chief Learning Officer and Global Head of Learning and Development at Ericsson to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Vijay. Can you provide the listeners with a, a brief introduction to your background and role at Ericsson? And I should also say it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan of this show and all of the great speakers that you bring. So very, very honored to be on the show with you. I'm very proud to be Ericsson's Global Chief Learning Officer, heading our global learning and development organization. We are a company that is 140 years old and we never act our age. We are very excited to be a company that's empowering an intelligent, sustainable, connected world, bringing things like 5G to life. We are a company of over 100,000 amazing employees in over 180 countries. And we feel it is our sacred mission to create the conditions in which those employees feel that they can change themselves in ways that grow themselves as well as ways that grow our customers and help society. So it's a great job. It's never a dull moment. And I can see the passion that's coming out there. It's great. And I know, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about 5G later and, and, and how that relates to the, the future of learning technology. Um, so let's start, you know, let's start big picture. What's your perspective on the relationship between learning and work now? And maybe now, but also into the future as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, human beings are a work in progress. And when it comes to progress, in order for it to work, we have to constantly be on a learning journey. And we are definitely on one now. So I think 
it's not cliched for me to say that you know the future belongs to the learners because it's so much of what we do now is no longer defined by how much we know but really especially when i look at what's happening in the news today how we handle what we don't know how we handle what we don't understand do we approach it with empathy do we approach it with curiosity do we approach it um you know individually or as a team so i do think you know now more than ever uh, learning is really shaping the future of work and and that future is unpredictable but i don't think it's accidental and it really is ours to shape so i do believe that companies especially have maybe an even bigger and i could dare say unprecedented responsibility in creating you know workforces as well as having an impact on our customers and on society that creates capability in a way that we haven't done before because it's so badly needed now to bring us together to solve the problems in the world many of which really do require a technology driven solution that is leveraging not just artificial intelligence but human intelligence and so i think truly i feel that this is a watershed moment for learning as we stand on the cusp of technologies like 5g and the internet of things the function of learning is no longer this vertical thing that a, a company's single L&D organization has to focus on but truly becomes something that every part of the business has to co-own to get us ready for the future of work and i think you you focus there on some of the huge technological changes that that are that are happening and ex- and accelerating as well and obviously there's the there's the fact that we're probably going to be working for longer um, yes. And you talked about this need for the future belonging to learners and 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 the con- and needing to be a continually on a learning journey. In your yeah. time in, in in learning, has that has that has that shifted? You you talked about this as a watershed moment. You know, what are some of the other things that you think are really causing this? Obviously, we've got the crisis going on at the moment. That's probably accentuated yeah. the challenge. I think the shift that we're seeing right now is really the shift is almost from learning to development. and reskilling while critical is not an end in and of itself it's a means and the real objective is to create a workforce that creates value for our customers one that experiences and and deepens its sense of resilience which says i can become whatever i need to be and 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 building skills is what happens to me on the way to solving problems that matter to me so creating value building resilience but also i think a deepening a sense of belonging that i know i'm in a place where i can bring my whole self to work even though i'm developing and reinventing myself and i can become many things here for me i myself I'm, i always say i'm in my fourth career <laughs> this is my fourth career i've been doing different things which you could interpret to say either i'm spectacularly unqualified or she's in always a state of transition and there I hope or maybe four more careers ahead of me but I think that is the new normal so the big shift I see partly driven by technology but I think also partly quite frankly by just human enlightenment that we really all are all in it together is this shift from learning as something where we are creating and curating content to development where our focus needs to shift to creating conditions creating experiences making assignments accessible to people that actually build and combine all these skills that we're trying to teach and grow on the job by allowing people to build skills through assignments instead of saying the only way to get that assignment is to already have all the skills and i think that's an important shift that we are um we're in the middle of and it requires 
really this multidisciplinary approach. Yeah, and, it, and it, yeah, a more agile way of looking at it as well, I guess. And interesting what you said about, you know, it's not just about reskilling people because actually, you know, as you've just talked about yourself, really, you've re almost reinvented yourself three or four times. I know I've done that, you know, in, in my career as well. Um, and this need to reskill because the half-life of skills is getting ever shorter, ever diminishing. So we yes. might reskill a section of our workforce now, but then we might need to reskill some of them again, or some of them may want to continue. Hopefully it's a two-way thing as well, that they want to reskill themselves and, Absolutely. and that continuous development, as you said. And like you said, David, you know, agile, I mean, one of the sacred tenets of agile is that it's progression over perfection. And I think that is so true here. When it comes to building skills, you know, maybe again, our old ways of working allowed us to say, I'm gonna build this program. I'm kind of gonna go into this, you know, cave and really deep dive and build this amazing program. It's gonna take me 18 months, but when it's done, it's gonna be amazing. We don't have that luxury anymore, ever, anywhere. By the time we did something like that, people would have moved on and the need itself would have changed. And so this shift that we have to make in our ways of work, to embrace the fact that it's progression over perfection, that us building our skills is also a matter of, it's not the level of skill you have, it's the momentum. What is the progression that you're, what's the journey and how well can I visualize the journey that you're on so that learning and development can become the partner our business stakeholders need to solve business problems. That's what we are about. We are not just about learning or development, we are about enabling a level of performance and problem solving that we don't have yet. Well, that's a great start. I mean, you know, and I think we looked at it very much from an individual perspective there in many respects. So let's let's talk a little bit about the relationship between L&D and the business. How can L&D help create the necessary conditions to help solve some of the big challenges that our businesses face? I think in three powerful ways. I think when you look at, you know, what keeps us from solving business problems, there's usually, you know, really three things that come out. One is it's very complex. Um, you know, there's, there's issues of time or affordability. We don't have the time. We don't have the affordability. We don't have the tools that we need. So there's a complexity barrier there. I think sometimes there is a um, reactivity barrier, meaning, you know, we, we, we're, we don't have all the intelligence we need to do the right thing. We're reacting and, and we're not predictive enough in how we go about acquiring the necessary expertise and experiences. So some things are complex, some things are reactive. And I think the third thing is to make sure everyone's invested. You know, problems get solved when people who are responsible for the solution truly feel invested in doing that. So I think we have to solve the business problems from the perspective of complexity, which means when something's complex, you can't scale it from a reactivity point, which means you've got to go faster. So we've got scale, we've got speed, and then the third one is accountability. So from that standpoint, I think learning and development has to create these conditions by focusing on the scale problem through the ecosystem. If it's complex to get the people together, to get the skills together that you need, if it's complex to even be able to put in the time or afford the experiences, that simplification has to be done by, by the ecosystem of learning in a company. And it actually goes quite beyond learning. I would say the broader ecosystem of how people connect to community, not just to content. I think when it comes to the speed to go from this reactive thing to this predictive thing, it's definitely a combination of intelligence that you use, the ability to take things like analytics and use them in ways that maybe we have not traditionally done in L&D. And I would also say that's such a matter of culture. Actually, to me, culture is speed. Culture are the habits that you use. And if they're good habits, you go faster and you're more predictive and more you know, anticipatory. And if, they're, and if it's not good, 
uh, you're much slower and reactive. So I think the second thing is the culture system and seeing that, you know, learning and development truly is meant to be an empathy engine for this notion of a culture system that allows people to be on the move through their company in different ways that allow them to get perspectives they would not have gotten before, connect to people that they may never have talked to, to acquire, you know, a diversity, almost a cognitive diversity that allows them to just go much faster. But all of that needs, like anything, it needs instrumentation to fly that plane. And that comes from using, I think, things like artificial intelligence in new ways to start to sense what are the skills that are needed to solve that problem? What are the people that are, are maybe not represented on the problem-solving team? How do you go about acquiring the experiences that will help you solve that problem? And then the third thing, as I mentioned, being accountability. I think that's all about the business system. Is the L&D organization skilling people in the right direction on the right things, the things that are truly critical for the future? And is that being done in a way where the business feels a sense of co-ownership? Or is it being done in a way where the business says, yeah, you know, I'll consume it if I want to, but if, I'm, if I don't want to, you know, I won't. I think that's to me, you know, so ecosystem, culture system, business system, this is how L&D has to mobilize itself, I think, to be an even better partner to our business stakeholders in solving the problems that matter. Easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> of course. And we're going to explore how you're doing some of that, I think, uh, Ericsson, in, uh, in, throughout the conversation. And I think we'll return to those three areas, I think. I know we're going to yeah. talk a little bit about, about you know, how you can use analytics to predict a, a little bit and link it to, to skills needs and, and everything else. What, let's deep dive a little bit first around the, the culture piece that you talked about. I mean, how do you create a, a growth mindset, which I've heard it referred to, or a culture of learning across your workforce? And, and maybe how have you done it at, at Ericsson, for example? I think the first thing we say is, you know, learning has to be a habit that matters. It's not enough that it's a habit. It has to be a habit that matters. There has to be a consequence to the learning that's done. People need to see that there's a meaningful differentiation that occurs, that, that we can, first of all, see you. You know, today we have very well-known, well-respected indices by which we measure financial performance. We know exactly what it looks like to see a company's balance sheet. We have uh, today very well-recognized indices by which we measure a company's employee engagement. We know what those scores look like. We know what they mean. We know how to do that kind of sentiment analysis. We still don't quite yet have a universal, well-recognized means by which we visualize an employee's skill development and skill progression, and not just the skills, but this you know, collection of experiences, like who, what is your journey? What is your momentum? That I see you, I see your profile, I see your passions, I see your experiences, I see your skill progression. We don't have that. If we can build that and then show that, for example, I have to nominate someone for a program, I have to promote somebody, I want to promote somebody, I have to hire somebody. I'm looking at these different profiles and I can now see Who's growing and who's growing other people? Who's progressing in a way that brings other people along? And who, for example, may be great at what they do, but maybe is not progressing at all and is certainly not teaching anyone else. I can now make a meaningful differentiation to say, I, I have decided that I need to invest in people who have this growth mindset. I can see their growth mindset in action. I can visualize it. And that differentiation allows me to show that, hey, you're learning, and not just you're learning, David, I think that we believe in order to have a really effective learning culture at Ericsson, we have to have an equally strong teaching culture. Because when you look into the future of work, when reskilling 
becomes a necessary component component of recruiting. Who's going to do that reskilling? That's not going to be solved by one vendor or one program or one central thing. That's going to be people who are already on the job, seeing it as their sacred responsibility to help other people ramp up. They should know how to do that. The company should show everyone else who they are. And we should go to great lengths to grow those people. So, I mean, I think the way we cultivate that growth mindset is to show that it matters, to show that it is of consequence, and by giving it a language and a visualization that allows us to differentiate the people who have a growth mindset and bring other people along by teaching them from the people who don't. I think when you when when people see that you know this gets me this gets me to thrive and not doing it, I can barely survive. And especially within Ericsson, we want our people to believe that they are on the move and that there is zero tolerance for zero learning. I think that's the way that you at least start to seed the kind of culture system you know, that can take us far ahead. Yeah, and, and I guess the holy grail is then when you connect that to, to, to business outcomes, customer loyalty, customer retention, sales growth, all those sorts of things. Which you know is a holy grail, I guess. In many respects, it's always been the the challenge, I guess, for learning to to to, to bring it out to business outcomes. But I sense that we're closer to being able to doing that now than we we we've, we've been in the past. I think our identity is this, right? Our, we exist to solve business problems. We exist to create and build future critical skills that enable and unlock business performance. That's the ultimate purpose of what we do. And absolutely, we are in a business that serves customers, employees, and society. So by doing this, this notion of a triple bottom line, I mean, we want to create the skill sets and the mindsets to win at all of those three things. But I think you're absolutely right. It is a a moment where our identity is pivoting in a very good way, I think, to be seen as a must-have rather than a nice-to-have when it comes to business performance. And and that's why I say all of these things, our culture, our, our learning culture, our teaching culture, every single one of those things has to be grounded in what does our business require us to become? And that linkage has to be so clear. And I think the only way you have it, again, is to not see learning as this sort of vertical function anymore, but to really see it as this horizontal thing that everyone in the company is sort of a co-owner of. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I think I think we're seeing the more progressive organizations, such as Ericsson and others, that that are linking learning with skills and they are looking at it horizontally. Um, I know when we spoke a, a little bit a couple of weeks ago, we talked a lot about skills, but I mean, how do you actually go about building a skills-driven organization and how do you connect it to, to, to learning? Yeah, I think it, it requires uh, several things. I think the first thing is just the foundational systems that you have, right? All of your, um, your systems, uh, especially your HR systems, your HR IT systems, are traditionally built on some sort of career framework and competence model. And one important thing we have to do with those models is to really shift them to a skills basis because this is a much more transferable, transportable currency by which people can understand what are what are the jobs to be done? How do I find out what level I should be aiming for? Um, that I how do I build the skills necessary in order to advance? So I think that's many people can easily dismiss this work as plumbing, but it's not. It is absolutely creating you know the framework. I would say the scaffolding for how to have a skills-based organization in the first place. You have to get the whole company, quite frankly, to just speak the same language of what skills are what, how we describe them, what they consist of, where they matter, how they relate to jobs to be done. So I think that's 
even though it's sort of a scaffolding thing, I think that's a very foundational thing that and we see it as a very, very important thing. I think the next thing though is how you visualize these skills. As I said earlier, you know, this is the one thing that is, sometimes I say it, it's like, um, it's like oxygen, you know, they're, they're necessary, they're vital, but they tend to sometimes be invisible. You know you need them, but you can't really see who has them and whether you have them. And so I think visualizing them. And here I think things like AI give us new tools, new dashboards, new technologies to visualize things like progression. That I don't really care if, you know, Vidya is a level three and David's a level four, but what I really care to see is David has gone from level zero to level four. And, you know, meanwhile, Vidya just stayed at a level three. Now, even, you know, it's not about who has the higher number, it's who's on the move and that momentum and that visualization. So I think, you know, the scaffolding, but then the visualization. I think two more things though. One is the prediction of skills. How do I know what skills to build? Usually I'm just reacting, but AI gives us the power of prediction if we use it well. And it's not, you know, magic prediction. It is things like, okay, what is in my pipeline, my sales pipeline? What keywords are appearing there? How do I merge that with maybe what the market sees in my sector? And how do I merge that even further with the skill profile of my team, what they're already good at and what they're not good at? And if I put all those things in a proverbial blender, it might show me a much more accurate predictive model of where I should build my skills. But that same capability will show me not just the prediction, but the proof that I actually did it, that it will visualize and make real that skill shift that I'm trying to enable in the company. So I use it to predict, but I also use it as a proof point. And then I think the final thing, and maybe this is the most basic thing of all, is that I should be able to see with a level of transparency that I think most transparency and democratized access, I should be able to show and see very transparently what opportunities are out there, not just vacancies, but what assignments are out there that I can pursue, that I can apply to, to, that would build my skills and not just look for content, but look for people, look for the teachers, look for the assignments. So I think those kinds of things, the scaffolding, the visualization, the prediction and proof through AI, and then just this connection to what the opportunities actually are. I think these things are very, I hope, concrete, <laughs> not easy, but concrete, but I believe that's what it means to be skills-driven. And I think that that transparency you, you you spoke about is how you connect skills to learning. Because me as an employee yes. at Ericsson, let's say I've got skills A, B, C, and D, yes. and there's technology that says, well, David, if you want to progress your career in this way, as you where you want to go, exactly, you have choice. Look at skills E and F, and here's some here's some training or some assignments that will help you to acquire skills E and F and, and further your career within the organisation. Is this the key yes. to, to bringing skills and, skills and learning together and actually, as you said, democratizing it to the, to the workforce? Yes, I think it's the key to bringing skills, learning and opportunity. And I think that's the, that, those three, it's that trifecta that you need. Because traditionally, where you go to build skills has been something very different from where you go to pursue opportunity. And we see now, you know, platforms like Degreed are, are trying to bring these things into the exact same place. And I think many... Many people are recognizing these three things need to happen in the same place. And, and when they do, you know, an employee can go from reactive to predictive. They can also go from viewing learning as this gap filling thing, like, oh, I must fix my deficits and reduce them to also seeing that, hey, this thing is showing me I have strengths. 
And I never realized before, but because I have these strengths, I could actually pivot into this field that truly maybe I never even considered it before because I always saw myself or I always saw that person as whatever role I occupied at the moment. But now, actually through the power of AI, what this thing is showing me is that if David is today um, a, a data science engineer and tomorrow he wanted to be, I don't know, a sustainability engineer, he might have thought of those things as being on two completely different planes of existence. But what this thing is showing him is that he's just three degrees of separation away. And if he just works on this skill, this skill, and this skill, this is now an option to him. You didn't know that was possible, but now you do. So I think that's the other thing that it, it will allow people to think differently, not only about their skills and their learning, but about what directions they could go in and maybe realize that there are directions they just never considered before that they could pivot quite easily. And it will show them that enlightenment <laughs> to some extent, things they couldn't see before. So that, that's that, that that's kind it. of career pathing and creating your own careers within your organization is is powerful. And I guess the, from an organizational perspective as well, all this data and information can really support better workforce planning, for example, and understanding, okay, these are the, these are the skills we've got. Okay, so we've got this gap, but actually we reckon, we reckon you know, but our, our data is telling us that this group of employees could, close the gap that they've got quite quickly here so we're actually be all right yes. we don't need to go out and buy another organization or, or hire loads of people and, and, and stuff like that so so i think that that kind of conforms the circle really and as you said takes learning out from being this silo to just putting it across the organization and there's a cost savings for doing that david right because when you can reskill and redeploy rather than release then when you recruit, you're really recruiting with a very, you know, inten high intentionality. You're recruiting for potential. You're recruiting not just for expertise. And you're able to say, in my company, people can become many, many things as the business needs. We can, go, we can become whatever we need to be. And this is how we do it because we are making it so easy or much easier for people to pivot now in ways that before they thought, oh, my role defines me. My job stage defines me. Actually, no, it does not. You are you know, this beautiful combination of skills, experience, interest, and that defines you and it sort of defines you in a new way. I think that is also really empowering, I think, for individuals. I consider it empowering. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so do I as well. I mean, and, and, and now I'm going to turn our attention to something I know that we're both very passionate about because we spoke about this um, a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, you actually said something really interesting in our last discussion. You said learning is oxygen invisible but necessary to survive and analytics will make it visible which i thought was fantastic can you expand on yes. that a little bit and tell us a bit about how you're using analytics in in lnd at ericsson to to measure things like capability skills knowledge and some of the other things that you might well be using it for yeah no we definitely see it as a, a really critical journey that we're on and we feel inspired when we just look out in the industry and say that you know once upon a time when you went to go purchase a product you would ask a bunch of people, you would try out a bunch of things, you'd go to a store and hope somebody would talk to you. And now the way we go about making a consumer purchase has changed because of companies like Amazon and things like ratings that have given us a new intelligence, a new language for something that used to be kind of invisible, which is how we make a purchasing decision. And they have made so much of it actually quite visible and quite easy to navigate. I kind of feel inspired by that and feel like a very similar transformation is what we need to enable in the space of learning and specifically learning analytics. And I think here at Ericsson, what we're hoping to do and what we're intending to do is to take, for example, as I mentioned earlier, 
can we connect workforce and people analytics much more powerfully with learning development so that when we ask ourselves, what are the business impacts of learning? Actually, the answer comes out of the people analytics that we were able to, for example, redesign the workforce to this role might have been overrepresented. And when we looked out in the future, we saw we don't need so many of that. We need more of this. Were we actually able to make that shift happen? Um, as I said, connecting things that are data sources today, but maybe aren't sufficiently connected, such as our profiles, our interests. Uh, today we go to LinkedIn and, and look for somebody's CV, you know, but so much of that information inside the company, when you combine it with things like what's in our sales pipeline and what skills are those things demanding? Uh, what happens when we com combine all of that to create this composite picture of this team to pursue these deals with these people in it who have these strengths and these you know, areas of development, this is what they need to do in the next 18 months, six months, so forth. They need to go from an average level three to an average level seven. And we know very well, there's no such thing as this you know, perfectly multi-capable competence person that you, know, you can build those models and nobody actually looks like that. A team is made up of people with very distinct, unique strengths. So what you're really trying to do, creating this well-rounded team is say, okay, you're really good at this. Can you get the rest of us to half your level? And collectively, we're not very good at this. Can we get to this level? So I think for us, you know, we feel we have a firm grip on the roadmap we need to now build and execute to make skills visible. And the key to doing it really is to take so much of the intelligence and analytics power that is in our people analytics and really collaborate in, in, in great ways with learning and development to ask what questions can analytics answer about learning before it happens, but also after it's happened. And what better way to show the business impact of learning, not just by net promoter scores and how many people took it and how much they liked it, but did we actually shift the workforce composition? I think, th I, I think that's at least the beginning of, of what we're trying to do uh, to get down that road. Exciting, exciting stuff. You also said to me, and I, I think you touched on it there, that you think so much of the future of learning is wrapped up in the future of people analytics, which I love that. Very much. I tell my colleague, Jane, we can't, I, I, your future is my future, my future is your future. What, as our capabilities grow in the people analytics space, it's so influential and consequential for what we can do in learning to actually, as I said, shifting from learning to development. Development is all about, you know, showing the proof in the in the language of people analytics and then using all the intelligence and the dashboards and, and not just the dashboards, but the strategic visualization of data. It's not enough that you have the data. Like you gotta put it in a format that I can easily understand it and digest it that moves me. And when we combine data visualization with data integrity, with you know uh, being data driven, I think that those futures are so intertwined. And anyone who doesn't think so, you know, I would say you're you're, you're not positioned strategically enough for for the journey ahead. Well, you're preaching in, preaching to the converted here, so I, I definitely would <laughs> I definitely would agree with you on that. So let's move on to a little bit around. Um, so at Ericsson, you access uh, assess. Sorry. Con credentialing, if I can say it properly, i.e. the learning that's completed, also contribution. Can you talk a little bit more to this and also the teaching cu culture that you, you mentioned earlier as well, play a, you know, a little 
add a little bit more around that as well. So I think that was a really important point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess when I think about a growth mindset, I don't really just think of that as an individual thing. I think of it as a team sport as well, right? It doesn't just mean that you have a great mindset that promotes your growth. It means that you care so much about giving in a way that promotes the growth of others. And you see a measure of your performance being how effectively you're able to bring others along and help them grow, which means that you know, the notion of credentialing, I think, actually becomes more critical than ever, but the definition shifts somewhat that, you know, in the past, credentialing was, okay, I have completed something, and by completing it, I have earned, you know, this this signifier of the, of what I have already done. But I think we are shifting now to viewing credentials as a key, meaning I have a driver's license, and I don't use that driver's license to tell you that I passed driver's ed. That's not what you attribute or ascribe that license to mean. This is the key for me to get on the road. Without this, I can't do that. So by earning this license, I now have the ability to drive. And I think more and more of our credentials have to be of that genre. That is, the credential is not just measuring that you completed some curriculum. It's measuring that you contributed to a project, to a business outcome. Back to your earlier question, like how do you make sure that this, this relevance to the business is the most important thread that never gets cut, that the contribution has to be contribution to a valid business outcome and contribution to other people. So when we say, you know, it is a point of pride to teach for Ericsson, to be recognized as somebody who teaches for Ericsson, we are recognizing not only that you have expertise, but that you share it. And I don't mean like you hit the forward button and send it to a bunch of people, that you actually care about enabling the comprehension of other people in a way that puts them to work in new ways. And so when we give you a, con a credential for contribution, we are now getting to evaluate not just whether you completed some learning journey, but that you can apply it properly with context on the job, you can secure business outcomes, and that you are giving back and paying forward as a matter of cultural habit. And so the credential then becomes a key. And I know this is going to sound cliched and simple, but, you know, no matter how fancy the technology gets, people learn from other people. People learn with other people. And I think by grounding some of our credentials in these kinds of things, we are, you know, honoring, I think, this, this sort of timeless truth that people learn from people. And we value, you know, being a giving company. We want the people who do well in our company to be the givers, the ones who, you know, for them, learning is not, is not consumption. It is really this catalytic reaction that I, what, I, I become something so that I can turn around and help other people become something too. So I think, you know, again, in digital credentials now uh, that we have you know, are giving us a new power to do that. And they give us this beautiful power to share the journey. Like, you know, one click and I can show you my Credly badge on LinkedIn. And, and now my customers can see what I am doing to myself for them. So I think this is um, this shift that we're making in credentialing and making it more focused on, on contribution is actually, I would say, a very, very meaningful enabler of the teaching culture that we want to have. It's allowing, again, the visualization. Yeah, and I was just about to say that whole, that how that feeds the culture that you're trying to create. Because I guess within a team, if you're really good at certain, some specific skill or proficiency, you can be a teacher. Um, but then in other areas, you're going to be a learner because you're going to be learning from another expert on the team who's, who's strong in that. And, and, and then the team as a whole is increasing its proficiency and you can visualize that and show that, which is uh, pretty powerful, actually. So, 
Yeah. In some cultures, there's this beautiful principle of each one teach one. And I think it's just that, scaling that. <laughs> yeah. And you can see how that could scale, um, you know, much more than the way we've learned in the past, for example. Sometimes I think, David, that's the only thing that could scale, you know, because any other way would just seem very, you know, centrally forced. And you're, again, back to the consumption model. Please take my class. Please take my program. Uh, it's much more likely to happen when it truly becomes the de facto habit in your company that the most revered and, and rewarded and recognized people are the ones who are not just keen to teach others, but who are also really good at it. Great. Let's, let's move on. So that, uh, unfortunately, we could probably talk for about two hours, but I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure my producer would be that happy if the episode was that long. How is technology impacting the future of, of learning? And you, you mentioned 5G at the start. You know, I'm presuming that that's helping act as a catalyst in, in many ways. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we go around telling people 5G is ready. Are you? And, and the reason we ask that is because we truly believe 5G is um, a watershed moment in the world, but I think it's a spe specifically a watershed moment for uh, education because it allows now, you know, this kind of throughput and 5G is not, it, it's not, it's the next thing that changes everything. We say that all the time. And what we mean by that is it's not just one thing. It's not just about having a faster connection. It's also having this ability to do things like virtual reality, immersive gaming, augmented reality in a way that is so natural because there's no latency anymore. There's no lagginess in your videos. Imagine the level of connectivity that instead of you and I talking to this two-dimensional little screen, we could be standing next to each other in a virtual room, both drawing on the same whiteboard, um, being you know physically so far apart, but feeling like there was no distance. So I think that application of 5G allows us to be ever more digital and ever more human. But it also, the standard allows for things like critical machine telecommunications, where we could have, you know, arrays of sensors, again, feeding back information that now we have the intelligence to really process, but also things like robotic surgery that, you know, we can't tolerate any delay whatsoever. So this standard allows for all these different things to happen. And I think it's a watershed moment for two reasons. One is, it is a very positive, but real disruptor for industries. And when industries get disrupted, people need to get reskilled. So I think it's it's an impetus for the workforce to really look at, you know, are we ready for 5G and for how it's going to disrupt our business? And are, is our workforce ready to become something more because of that? But then I think it's also a watershed moment for how learning happens. You look at the pandemic and look at the digital inequity that's become even more stark that people who don't have secure, reliable digital access are literally not able to, you know, progress educationally compared to people who do. How is that even remotely okay? You know, that is so wrong. It's so wrong for diversity. It's, it's, we need this to combat institutionalized racism. We need this to heal the world and bring all the great minds that think differently together to make a vaccine. So I think, you know, 5G is going to create this notion of a virtual village that we couldn't have before. And the technology in, in terms of how it connects platforms and, and industries is going to allow us to almost have it as this empathy engine through which we can connect and know and maybe even feel the perspectives of other people just in, in ways that we couldn't do before. So yeah, totally more digital, but also done right, you know, much more human. So I think we feel, you know, very, very uh, strongly that 
this technology and it has to be technology for good has to be sustainable has to you know advance all the things we care about in the world this is really about the future of technology being the future of learning and the future of learning being necessary in it to en enable industries to make 5g work for them that leads leads really nicely onto the last question actually we're asking all the guests on the on the show in this series you know what will be the role of learning and development in 2013 we just picked 2013 because why not um you know what do you you know obviously taking the technology technological aspect of some of the other trends you've described what do you think the role of learning and development will be in 2013 i think we will no longer see it as one specialized function we will see it as this multidisciplinary thing that has many co-owners necessarily kind of permeating the entire business and this notion of um, even this role of chief learning officer will be so much more about performance and development you know and and not just learning you know for learning's sake so i think that's one big thing i think the number of people who say you know learning is part of my job will expect i hope <laughs> will exponentially rise i think also we are going to see i mean we see the future of work and the just the dynamics of teams there's so much now of self-forming agile teams sort of flatter organization people who are cross-disciplinary, they are bound by a shared evolutionary purpose and, and sort of where you live in an organizational hierarchy becomes more and more inconsequential. It's, it's, it's important, it's your home base, it's, your, it's like your mailing address, but it no longer is the thing that dictates what you do every day. So, you know, I think that's going to enable people to say we have to come together in, in all these different ways of work and our ability to outperform our competition and make good on our promises to our customers will truly be completely dependent on our ability to outlearn our competition and how effectively we have this workforce resilience at becoming something new and the amount of you know guided reinvention that can happen within the company so i think you know in 2030 we're going to recognize that it is even more connected to things that matter like well-being to diversity to belonging, to how we value people in the workplace. I think, you know, today, again, sort of sometimes seen as a vertical, I, I think tomorrow it won't be. That sounds brilliant. And I, I guess a measure for a chief learning officer will be, you know, what percentage of people in the organization are saying that learning is part of their job. Could be a could be a way of measuring the, the impact. Um, interestingly, actually, just an extension on, on the chief learning officer role. There's been um, there's been a few articles recently. I think I saw something from BCG recently, and also Deloitte, and I think McKinsey have written about it as well. Now, will the chief learning officer still sit within HR in 2030, or is there a case for it to report the role to report directly into the CEO? I mean, I think one thing I'm very proud of, you know, when it comes to being part of Ericsson, is that we've always being rooted in our Swedish culture. We've been a, a very matrixed company, and I think in a matrix company, you don't have these notions that your organizational proximity from a particular role, even if it's the top role, that that distance has anything to do with your impact or your responsibility. So it's not even a measurement that, you know, I think we consider about, oh, if we were closer in reporting, we would have more impact. I, I don't think we think that we don't think I don't think that way. My team doesn't think that way. I don't think we think that way. Um, I think I like having learning and development be part of the people function because I mean, we, I say this as an engineer, you know, having engineered networks and having engineered digital systems, I love that my job, I get to engineer people experiences and what more meaningful place 
you know, to call home base when it comes to engineering this most special experience of all, which is how do people create the capability to become their best selves and to become their next selves. And I think it has, it just makes all kinds of sense to me that it lives as part of the people function, you know, that is responsible for creating people's stories and enabling them to bring their stories to life. And I don't see that as anything that diminishes our vitality or our importance. And, you know, I don't think that moving us closer to, you know, any hierarchy changes changes that. So that's my view. I tended to agree with you, to be honest, on that one. So um, so it'd be interesting, um, be interesting to see how it evolves. I think, I, I think what it shows when people are, are making those suggestions, it shows that learning is becoming more and more important. And as you said, isn't this silo that's tucked away as part of HR? It's something that not just goes across HR, the people function, it goes across the organization as well. So co-ownership, there's a governance of shared ownership uh, for you know what skills to build. It's no longer up to L&D to tell the company what skills to build. It's up to the company with L&D to decide together what skills are we going to build. Well, I can't believe we come to the end of our conversation, but we have. Um, so the last thing for you say, for me to say is thank you. Thank you for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And also, and also, can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and follow you on social media if you if you do social media? Sure, sure. Um, Ericsson, vidya.krishnan at ericsson.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, and uh, welcome connecting with people who feel passionately as we do about uh, the future of work, the future of technology and the future of learning. I love that. Vidya, thank you very thank much you. again. It's been great to talk to you today. Same here. I'm such a big fan of yours. And really such a pleasure and a privilege to be here discussing this stuff with you. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. We'll be taking a short break before we return soon with Series 10. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.